Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, we get to talk to a three-time Olympian and one of the original members of the Jamaican bobsled team, Devin Harris. He's on the Jamaican bobsled team. Oh, I love that. For those of you old enough to remember, Disney made a very popular movie back in the 90s about Devin's bobsled team with John Candy as their coach. It's called Cool Runnings, and it's actually one of our kids' favorite movies. So how much of that movie was actually true? Which character depicted him? How many times did they crash leading up to the Calgary Winter Olympics? And how did they train? since there is no snow or ice in Jamaica. You guys, we can't wait for you to hear this fun conversation with Mr. Devin Harris. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future, followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today, we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in central Ohio. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. I'm on the Jamaican bobsled team. (laughs) I don't know. I've said that ever since you booked this guest, and I keep singing it in my head. Steph, stop singing that song. (laughs) I'm on the Jamaican bobsled team. Like, I've heard this like 30 times this week. I'm so excited. Well, friends, our next guest is an author, motivational speaker, and a man who never stopped chasing his dreams. He started off as a barefoot boy trying to win a track race and became a member of his country's first Olympic bobsled team, a three-time Olympian from Jamaica. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Mr. Devin Harris. Oh, Devin! (laughs) Tell us a good story. I hope I have one or two I can tell you, but (laughs) I'm excited to be spending some time with you guys. Oh, Devin, I appreciate you saying yes to us. This is very exciting for us. And Steph's like, I'm so excited. You just want to start answering, asking questions. I do. I want to rapid fire. So can I go? Go ahead. Okay. 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 I know you probably get this all the time. I'm sure our listeners are thinking the same question. Which person were you on Cool Runnings? (laughs) So I have a few answers for that. I usually tell people, and I say, actually, I was a coach and I was a fat white guy. But then. (laughs) You know, I went and got a, a, a tan and a diet, and this is a new me, and they're still not buying it, man. So the characters are really very different from real-life characters. But if I had to choose one, I'd say Yul Brenner, played by Malik Yoba, the bald-headed guy. Um, not because he had an attitude, but more because he was a dreamer. He's a guy that wanted to go to Buckingham Palace to live, and that's how I see myself as well, a dreamer. That's Good. So, Devin, if we start the story a little bit earlier, right? Born and raised in Jamaica. And when we think of Jamaica, we think of reggae, beautiful beaches, Bob Marley. Everyone is fast, it seems like to us, right? (laughs) Like everyone there can run super fast. Yes. But you grew up in the slums of Kingston. Yeah. So, can you explain a little bit for listeners what it was like to actually grow up in Jamaica? Because it's not all just beautiful beaches everywhere. Yeah, um, you know, and I talk about that all the time. I ask people, you know, if they have seen those commercials on TV, come to Jamaica and feel all right. I'm like, well, those are actually depicting, you know, really nice and true parts of Jamaica. But that wasn't my old neighborhood. I grew up in, interestingly enough, in a place called Olympic Gardens, where it's a really tough, volatile, violent, impoverished neighborhood. 
especially back in the 70s, man, when I was growing up, early 80s, political violence was kind of on the rise. And I often joke that at night, when I didn't hear gunshots, it meant it was time to get up and get ready for school. But that wow. was kind of the environment in which I grew up in. So you ended up going into the military. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's where someone, I believe, pitched to you the idea of a, a bobsled team or something, right? How, how did that work? How does that get pitched to you, you know, as a young man? Yeah, I like the word you use, pitch, because in the military, nothing is ever pitched to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, growing up, my number one goal was to be in the military. I wanted to be an army officer. And the, the idea of going to the Olympics was kind of like my side hustle. You know, it was been nice to have, but man, if I could become an army officer, geez, I, I couldn't ask for more. And so you fast forward, it's the summer of 1987. I am 21 years old and I'm walking to the officer's mess by myself and I'm having this really intense conversation. You know, um, so you're 21, you've achieved your big goal, you're an army officer. Is this it? What are you going to do with the rest of your life, man? And run about that same time, two Americans who lived in Jamaica came up with the idea to start a bobsled team. And long story short, they came to the military looking for athletes. Okay. Now, I caught the eye of my commanding officer. Nobody knew I was an athlete, really. And when I finished my basic officer training, I was limping around barracks because I'd Jumped from a plane and broken my ankle. Don't judge me, okay? I was young and foolish. But I, <laughs> I, um, I broke my ankle. And so the idea of the bobsled team comes up and there's a philosophy in the army that says officers must always participate. And the colonel had a bunch of enlisted men going to the team trials. So he thought his young fit officer should go. So if you call that a pitch, he says, Devon, you will go to the team trials. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not in trouble. Okay, I'll go to the team trials. And that's how I really, really got interested in going to the team trials because initially when I heard about this idea of the bobsled team, I thought, man, this has to be the most absurd, ridiculous idea ever conceived by man. And nobody's going to get me to go on one of those things. And then the colonel told me that I am going to go try out for the team. And it actually, in that moment, my entire perspective shifted. It was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I have to make this team. And here we are. Did you know what a bobsled was? Right. Did they show you a picture or a video or anything like that? You know, so when, when, when I first learned that we were trying to create a team, I knew it was a, a winter sport. And it was, I knew it was fast and dangerous, but I could not describe a bobsled to you. This is... Clearly pre-internet, pre-YouTube time, so you couldn't Google that, right? I had only became aware of the Winter Olympics three and a half years prior to that, when I was in high school on our school's quiz team, because at at the time, the Winter Olympics were coming up in Sarajevo, and I'm like, oh, there's a Winter Olympics. So yeah, it's kind of uh, interesting finding out that there was such an event. And yeah, that I was, would compete in a fast and dangerous sport that I couldn't describe to you was even more <laughs> bizarre, I guess. So had you ever, had you ever seen snow? Right. Had you ever experienced ice before? Walked on ice. Yes. Mm. No, so experienced snow, yes. Uh, so I did my military 
training in England. So definitely experience cold. Okay. Miserable. It's so much easier <laughs> to buff than in the cold than to do to be out there living in the cold. And I, the first time I saw snow falling, I remember clearly December 1985, this white stuff. I was in a Land Rover driving somewhere and this white stuff was just flashing across a windscreen. And then I visited the US in the following December, eight to six, and kind of had a chance to kind of play in the snow for a little bit. <laughs> but um, the first time I walked on ice was September of 87, after our team had been selected. We were up in Lake Placid, New York. All right, Steph, I'm going to test you again here. What is your favorite book of all time? Uh, obviously, it's the Bible, Kevin. <laughs> yes. Nailed it. Very good. This time, you didn't say the book we wrote called You Met Her Where. But it's still a really good book. That is true. And it would make a great gift for friends or relatives on their birthday or for Christmas. Friends, you can order your copy of our book titled You Met Her Where at KevinAndSteph.com. And we will make sure to personally sign a copy for you or whoever you want. And as always, thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. All right, Devin. So for all of our guests, I like to give a, li a list of fun facts for listeners to know what you've done, what you've accomplished. And I'm going to start this early because I have some really good fun facts about you and the Jamaican bobsled team and everything. And Steph is not aware of any of these. Okay. So Devin, you're going to see her I'm so excited real about these. <laughs> legitimate reaction to these fun facts. And I told her like, I, Steph, I am a little weary of these quote unquote fun <laughs> facts. Because yeah, I don't know. There, there are the fun facts about the Jamaican bobsled team. <laughs> No, go ahead, man. I love it. And you keep saying, go on, man. Like, I love that. It makes my heart so happy. All right, Steph. So what Devin just said, the bobsled team started their training for the Olympics only five months before the Winter Games. <gasps> so like he just said, he just mentioned seeing snow and ice September, September. of 87. That was the first bobsled trip that they had trained. And it was in Lake Placid, New York. And that wasn't that even a real training. We had gone to Lake Placid right after team selections in September in Jamaica. And we met our coach, Howard Seiler. And I remember he had a two-month bobsled in his driveway then. And that's the first bobsled we're seeing in our lives. A two-man. Okay. two-month bobsled. And then clearly we saw a bobsled track for the first time with no ice on the track because it's September. Uh -huh. But the U.S. team was on the ice rink practicing their starts. And so that was the first time they invited us to practice with them. It was the first time we were actually not walking on ice and pushing a bobsled. <laughs> and um, it was difficult. We spent more time on our butts than we spent pushing the sled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, were yeah. you like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> I remember. Actually, I did ask myself that question in Jamaica. When uh, the team trials, they were showing crashes. And I mean, they were horrific. Nothing like you saw in Cool Runnings. I mean, spectacular, you know, guys leaving the track in the sled, like taking off. Oh my gosh. Guys flying out the sled and skimming out the top of the track, ending up in the crowd, like, you know, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. Kind uh -huh. of. Um, and then there was one crash where there was blood everywhere. And the, I think the driver's head was, you know, off his body. Oh no. And, and I sat there thinking to myself, what the did I get myself into? <laughs> but, uh, you know, the colonel, according to, you know, pitched me <laughs> so, so I had to go. But in Lake Placid, when we were there pushing the sled and having a hard time at it, I remember thinking, 
wow, this bobsled thing is harder than I thought. Mm-hmm. But it was an acknowledgement that it could be done. It just wasn't going to be an easy road. Right. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I have a question to go back. When they selected you for the bobsled team, were you excited or were you like, well, I have to do it because my commanding officer told me right. I need to do it's this? It's more of an order. No, 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 yes. no, no. No, once, once I knew I was going, I had to make the team. I, I wasn't going there to just make up numbers. I just went there and I tried my darnest. And so I was uh, excited that I made the team. Mm. All right, Steph. So, like you said, September of 87, they walk on ice. They compete in the Winter Olympics in February. Okay, okay. Okay. So, next fun fact. They arrive in Canada with very little experience and immediately lost one of their teammates due to injury. <gasps> oh, no. So, Chris Stokes, the brother of the driver, Dudley, had to be drafted at the last minute. He was just there to watch. He had never been in a bobsled. <laughs> so, that was their fourth guy. Yeah, so, so there are some... <laughs> facts and some half truths in that. Okay. I know it is true. So Caswell Allen, who a guy I actually attended high school with, did fall on the push track when we were there. And so the official story that he, it was that he was injured and he couldn't compete. It's not true. His pride was injured, but you know, he could have competed. In any event, that second week of the Olympics was when they were having a four-man event in which we were not entered. Oh, okay. <laughs> And um, we decided it was, hey, we should enter the foreman so we can all win a medal. We'll go, yeah, yeah, let's enter the foreman. So we entered the foreman. And yes, Chris was there to support his brother, Dudley. And uh, he was recruited to the team. And in all honesty, Chris was a better athlete than Caswell, although Caswell had a little bit more bobsled experience. But in three days, we taught Chris everything we knew about how to push a bobsled. Oh. And at the end of the week, we had the seventh fastest start time. What? Seventh? Yes, sir. Oh, my gosh. Steph, that's out of 32. We've 32 blasted teams. off the hill. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's incredible. All right. So, Steph, they get to the Olympics. Their first run started badly when something apparently broke off the bobsled when the driver jumped in at the start. Uh huh. Yeah. On the second run, this is actually very funny. The third man struggled to get into position and was pretty much standing up when they got to that first turn. Oh, no. Okay, so Devin no. was actually the, the second person in the bobsled. Mm. Devin knew what he was doing. Devin, yes. Devin knew. Devin's a oh, professional. So, <laughs> yeah, so they, they so understand that our sled was really old. Not as old as the one depicted in Cool Rallies, but pretty old. So, yeah, on that first run, as Dudley is getting into the sled, the pushback, which he needs to get in the sled, collapsed. Oh my gosh. The photos like he's kind of sitting across, across with the sled, sliding inside the sled. So that was almost miraculous. Uh, You know, great athletic feat on his part to get in the sled. On the second run, I'm the number two guy. I'm behind Dudley. I get in and I have some pretty big thighs, I have to admit. And Michael White comes in behind me and his spikes are stuck in my thighs. This is, uh, you know, his his feet has to go around me, and I kind of guide them towards his his uh, kick bar to, for him to brace, and it's stuck. So, like in corner one, we're sliding through corner one, corner two, and people are going, "Sit down, sit down!" And we're like, "We know, we know." And I was really worried for Mikey. I'm like, "Man, I don't know who is going to be able to make this ride all the way down standing up." 
But um, <laughs> by, the time we got to, by the time we got to corner three, I was able to dislodge him from my thighs and he slid in and got his seat. Mm-hmm. Steph, the average speed of an Olympic bobsled, how fast do you think they go? The average speed? I cheated. You saw it? I saw it. 85. That's that's the average crazy. speed of a bobsled. Mm-mm. No, that's... Ugh. Can you imagine? No. So Mm-mm. then the third run, of course, that's the one they showed in the movie, right? When things went from bad to worse on the third run. So despite a very fast start, the driver lost control at one of the turns, and the bobsled actually overturned and crashed. Mm-hmm. So Devin, is it hard for you to actually see... The highlights, the videos of that today, knowing what you know today, is it hard to watch that? No, you know, it wasn't, I don't think it was ever hard to watch. Uh, that crash was my seventh that season. You would not believe it was not the most spectacular crash I was ever part of that season. Mm. And I can tell you about that one, but it was em- in the moment of it happening, it was embarrassing. I remember as we went over, I go, oh my, we're over, how embarrassing. And I know how horrendous it looked, like, you know, we were dead or close to losing our heads. No, but it was just um, an embarrassing moment, an embarrassing outcome for us. Were you injured at all? My pride was badly bruised. But but no, but no, we walked. So interestingly enough, Douglas Stokes, our driver, he got injured that morning. The drivers always walk the track. Okay. So we get to the park and... We take the sled to the top and Dudley walks up. Then he comes up to the start house or the warm house where we hang out. And with a really sad look on his face, he slipped on the ice and sprained his collarbone. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, they, they, we didn't have a physiotherapist. So the a guy, I think Roy Hunt, his name is from the British team. He was their physio. He had the magic spray. It fixed him up, <laughs> patched him up, and he was good to go. But yeah. He lost control of the sled and went over, and the rest is history, as they say. Mm. Well, Steph, when you watch the video, the paramedic running out to get them, he yeah. slips and falls. Yes. yes. Yeah. He yeah. slipped and falls as well on the track. Okay, so... Well, wait, I have a question. Okay, go ahead. Is it, did you guys really, because in Cool Runnings, you like stopped, you carried the bobsled across the finish line. Did you guys do that? No. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> the sled weighs 650 pounds. And there are no real straight edges. There's no way to hold it. So imagine if you lift that thing up, 650 pounds. Right. And it's wobbly, no straight edges, walking on slippery ice. And it falls on you because any sensible person would have pushed the sled right across mm. the oh, yeah. sled, which is what we did and exited stage left. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, so when you watch the movie, are you like, "Come on, Disney, that is so not realistic"? <laughs> it's a t- yeah, it's a tearjerker, though. It's it uh, is a tearjerker. That is true. Yeah, yeah, you know, they they did a good job in in selling it, but and the sled that they the actors really lifted was like almost like a paper mache, you know, something like weighed two pounds instead of six hundred and fifty. <laughs> right. If you like what you hear, please tell someone about us. As soon as this episode is over, go tell your spouse, your closest friend, a parent, a coworker, or share one of our posts on social media. However, if you don't like what you're hearing, please do not. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. Just disregard this message. Don't worry about it. Forget about us. Yep. Go on with your merry day. And to get more information about us or our entire catalog of episodes, be sure to check us out at kevinandsteph.com. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. 
So to go along with what you just said, that was not the very first time they'd crashed. I'm curious, Devin, how horrifying is it to go through like that first crash, right? When you're in practice, this is the only one that was filmed, right? The one in the Olympics. But when you were practicing that season, how horrifying is it going that fast? Can you tell when you're going 80 miles an hour, if you're in control or out of control? So that first season I was, uh, so I was still learning the sport, but I remember my first crash vividly. In fact, I remember the run before that, I was arguing with my driver and I said to him, if you were going any faster on that run, you'd have crashed because you, he just wasn't taking the lines. He was trying to skirt around the corner and you can't do that. Okay. And so on this particular run, the very next run, we're going down and I've kind of felt that the sled went into slow motion. It just, as it left the ice, all this is happening in a split second, but it just, time just slows down and the sled leaves the ice and there's like complete silence. And then it twists and then it slams back into the ice and everything speeds up and you hear the screeching sound of the sled going over the ice. You see the flashes of white as you're going by and you smell the burning fiberglass. Oh, And it feels like forever, man. It's Mm. it's horrible. It's not fun. Mm -mm. I mean, that's Mm -mm. like surviving a motorcycle crash or something, right? Seven times on ice. Yeah. So you do that that first time. Is there any part of you that you're like, I don't know if I want to do this again. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. I don't think I can get back in the sled. Did that ever go through your um, mind? So so the the one time I I told her we had a crash that was more spectacular than Calgary. This is a two-man. I mean... Innsbruck, Austria, with my brakeman, my driver again, and we kind of argued before we head down the track. And he's like, hey, telling me to put my head down in the sled. And I'm like, you need to focus. By the way, my head is buried in the bottom of the sled. And we hit on this particular track, it's corner eight. In Calgary, it was corner nine. Okay. And it's a really tall corner. So tall, there's a part of the corner that they don't even bother to clean. Why? Because you have no business being there. And as we enter the corner, my head down, you can feel what's going on. And I remember thinking to myself, my, we're high. And the next thing I knew was that we had flipped around and we're going on the track backwards. So we got high, the front of the sled hit the frost line which slowed down the front of the sled. The back is still traveling at whatever speed that is. So it went by the front, spun around, bam. And we're now heading on the trap backwards and I put the brakes on. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to stop with this guy no more. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, that takes some courage to get mm. back in. Mm. Like, all right, let's do it again. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, my word. All right, stop. So the first appearance of the Jamaican bobsled team obviously remains one of the most iconic moments in the history of the Olympics. Their true story inspired the 1993 movie, Cool Runnings, starring the late actor John Candy. Mm. So when did you first see the movie? So so first of all, I had the good fortune of being on the set in Calgary when they were filming. Oh, good. Part of it, not all of it, but you know. So that was pretty cool. Um, it's cool to be on a Hollywood movie set. It's really flattering. Um, but, but we had a of viewing somewhere in Virginia. Because George Fitch, one of the Americans who came up with the idea to start the team, 
that's where he lived and he brought us out there. And, um, you know, we watched the movie with bated breath. Uh, believe it or not, one of our major concern was whether or not they were going to portray us smoking weed. Oh. Because right. they're Jamaican, they think that all of us smoke weed and it couldn't be further from the truth. I've never smoked it myself. And so we were like, huh, no, no weed scenes. Good. It's a good move. Yeah, weed. <laughs> But I remember Chris Stokes and I, afterwards, you know, we're in the restroom, actually. And he goes, I'm inspired to do something. I'm like, yeah, me too. I don't know what, but I'm inspired to do something. So, um, you know, we enjoyed it from the very beginning. Well, I Googled, how true is the movie Cool Runnings? And the response I got was a quote from George Fitch, who you just mentioned. And it said, about 1%. Mm-hmm. So, there was a <laughs> team from Jamaica. We had problem finding funding. We competed in Calgary and we crashed. <laughs> Those four things. <laughs> four things. Yeah. Everything I said, they made up or they stretched the truth to make it funny. All right. The film remains one of the highest grossing sports comedies in history. So although the director played loose with the real facts to make it a better Hollywood film, most of the things were not correct, right? The song, the egg, the coach, qualification process, the names of the characters, mm-hmm. right? Doesn't line up with like Devin. And so this was actually John Candy's last movie that was released during his lifetime. Mm. So yeah. did you get to meet him on set then, Devin? Yeah, man, I did. Um, amazing guy. We all know him as a great actor. I would argue that he's an even better person. Really? Oh, that's special. Yeah. Oh, that's good. All right, Steph. According to an article in People Magazine that I read, there were several big name actors that auditioned for starring roles. Are you ready for this? Yes. Tupac, Wesley Snipes, Cuba Gooding Jr. all auditioned for roles in Cool Runnings. Uh huh. Then also, Denzel Washington and Eddie Murphy turned down roles in the movie because they were asking for too much money. Ah. So that's interesting how like everybody auditioned and won a part in this movie that was making. And originally, I think it was going to be a drama. And then it turned into a comedy mm-hmm. um, at, at some point. All right, so since the original 88 Olympics, Jamaica's been represented at six Olympic Games in the two-man bobsled and three more Olympic Games in the four-man bobsled, including Devin being captain of the 92 and the 98 Olympic teams. Wow! So Devin is a three-time Olympian. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Wow, that's impressive. Very impressive. What's your training like to be a bobsledder? Right. Lots of sprints and, and power yeah, workouts. So it's, it's a cross between sprinting and power lifting in a way. You know, so you're spending the summer and you're pushing a makeshift sled to practice your starts. And then like everybody else does, you travel in the winter to get to the track to do real bobsled training because there's no other way to do it. But then it was a huge challenge for me. And one of the biggest regrets I have in bobsledding is not really having the chance to train the way the more established teams train. Um, um, right. We, just, we, we already had very limited resources. I was in the army. And so, you know, the only time I got to really dedicate myself fully to bobsled training was in the winter when we were overseas. Because if I was in Jamaica, then I had duty first, and then I had to figure time to train in between my duties. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so I, I, I joked earlier about we think everybody in Jamaica is fast, but have you ever tried to recruit Usain Bolt to the bobsled team? 
Yeah, I did actually. Um, you did? Did you? Back in uh, 2013, we were um, shooting a commercial and uh, Usain made an appearance. And uh, he goes, not a chance. Too cold. Too cold? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he, yeah, he's tall, too. He might be tough to get in to one of these sleds. He could fit in the back. They're, they're, we have uh, some tall bobsledders. We'd no, make it, it work. It, it, well, yeah, we could make it work. But, uh, yeah, he wasn't done with the cold at all. Well, I have a question. I want to know, how were you received from other Olympians in your first time you were... Got to Olympic Village. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so what's interesting is we never saw any of the major players in our sport until we got to the actual Olympics. Okay. And by then, everybody knew who we were. But you, you also have to remember, it's, this is the Olympic Games, man. It's the biggest race on the calendar every four years. So people were very uh, focused and just kind of zoned in on what they were doing. Um, met a bunch of people in the village from different sports as well. I wouldn't say that we're seen as celebrities or treated as such. Uh, you know, we were just, I, I was just trying to soak up the entire experience, understanding what, what life in the village is like, but at the same time, remain focused enough to compete and give a good account of ourselves. What about when you got home? Were you treated like celebrities when you got home after that first Olympic experience? Oh, that's a good question. So first of all, we were worried about going home. After that crash, we thought we were going to be teased and ridiculed and jeered. And wow, it couldn't have been further from the truth, man. People were so kind, so gracious, so welcoming. But I was in the army, so I just took my bobsled uniform off, put my army uniform back on and went to work. Like nothing happened. Wow. Is it true that you were on a, a stamp or something after that? Yeah. You don't have one of those? <laughs> 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 Sorry, I did. I didn't get one of those. <laughs> yeah, they actually did make stamps with our faces on it, and I don't know where it is. I, I'm horrible at keeping these things. Oh, that's good. That's special. Steph, we cannot do this podcast all by ourselves. When we first started, we needed some major help and guidance with our technology issues, and we're extremely fortunate to have met Mr. Craig Clausen. That man has been an absolute godsend for us. I freaking love Craig. Clausen Solutions Group is an information, technology, and media management company helping customers with their people, process, technology, and message. CSG helps organizations with their technology implementations, project and change management, and social media messaging. I have no idea what you just said. I honestly don't know either, but we both know Craig's amazing at it. So. He's just really good at He's his really job. He's really good okay? at what he does. <laughs> Trust us. He's very good with technology. So if you have any technology issues, social media needs, just don't know where to start, give Clawson Solutions Group a call at 614 859 6328. They are a proud sponsor of Tell Us a Good Story. All right, Steph. So in the 1998 Olympic Games, Jamaica finished 21st out of 32 teams. So they beat countries like Australia in the bobsled. Oh, that's normal. We beat them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but Steph, how much they improved uh -huh. just in, in those 10 years is incredible. So this led to the 2018 Olympic Games in South Korea when Devin was inducted as an Olympian for life by the World Olympian Association for his significant contribution to society. Oh, that's yeah. special. What was and that like? Sweet. You know, the <laughs> funny thing is, 
I thought I was already an Olympian for life. I'm like, I'm an Olympian and I plan to do this Olympian thing until I die. <laughs> and then they call me and they go, hey, um, they had just started this program, I think, in Rio 2016. Okay. They had inducted five summer Olympians in this Olympian for Life program. And so I became one of the first five winter Olympians. Um, it was kind of uh, funny because uh, they didn't know I was coming to Korea. And so I turned up in Korea and I emailed them. I'm like, hey, where's your office? I'd like to come by and say hello. And they go, you're here? I'm like, yeah. They're like, you should have told us because we inducted everybody else last night with Prince Albert. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I just got here. So anyway, they go, oh, fine, let's meet for dinner. And the, we met for dinner and we went up to the track. You know, unbeknownst to me, they had they were very sneaky in having my little ceremony for myself at the bobsled track. It was pretty cool. But Devin, that's even a bigger honor when you're the first five to go yeah. into this type of Hall of Fame. That's incredible. You know, it's really flattering, I would say, when your peers are acknowledging your efforts. It means a whole lot more than just strangers and you know, your peers going, of all of our peers, let's single out these guys. Yeah. And I'm one of them. Were you or your teammates ever surprised by the attention you got or how popular the Jamaican bobsled team came? Because, I mean, people even talk about it today, right? Especially with Cool Runnings being on Disney Plus and all that. Mm-hmm. Were you ever surprised by the attention you got? I think I'm continually surprised. Maybe not so much now today, 35 years or so later. But I remember being in Vancouver and I was talking to some of my teammates who were not there. And I said, I think I'm only beginning to understand the impact that we have made on the the world. Because I I was speaking to this lady from Eastern Europe, barely spoke English. She realized who I was and began to tell me about how much our story inspired her. And I've had these encounters around the world many, many times. And so, yeah, you know, after all these years, I'm still meeting people, the new generation who is impacted by our story. Well, Steph, last fun fact here. Devin lives in New York, has five children. Since his days on the bobsled slope, Devin has become a top corporate keynote speaker, sharing his philosophy of keep on pushing with many Fortune 500 companies. He's also the founder and CEO of the Keep On Pushing Foundation, a New York-based charity focused on helping children in disadvantaged communities receive a quality education. Mm. So Devin, can you tell us more about your foundation and what you currently do? Yeah, man. Thank you for asking. So it was back in 06. I was in Jamaica. I was back in the old neighborhood. Went to my to visit my old elementary school. And I uh, was chatting with a principal. And I'm like, so what's the biggest need you have here? Because I was trying to figure out what I could do to help. And it was that many of the kids were coming to school hungry. No breakfast. Mm. And I think we all know if you're if you're hungry, you can't learn. If you don't learn, then you don't get educated. And in a place like that, if you don't get educated, if you're not educated, you can't be contributing citizens. And in a place like Jamaica and others, uh, very similar places, you know, if you've missed the bus, you've missed the bus. And growing up in in that environment, I knew how important that education piece was. It's that linchpin that's going to help you out, man. You don't have to be a rude scholar to have a chance. But if you 
these kids aren't getting properly educated, it increases the chances of them becoming criminals. So we started the Keep On Pushing Foundation, started supporting a, a breakfast program there, created a school supplies program as well. That has expanded to, at times, 10 schools in the old neighborhood. So the idea is to yeah, give them every opportunity that I can possibly give them to um, help them grow and develop skills that they'll be able to use in the wider world and become successful themselves. Oh, that's good. Well, listeners, for more information about Devin and his foundation, you can go to his website at devinharris.com. Also, he is on Instagram at official Devin Harris. And we will put those links in our show notes so you can just click right on it and go to his website and his Instagram page. Well, Devin, thank you, sir, so much <laughs> for saying yes to us. This was fantastic. We were so excited to talk to you and you did not disappoint, sir. No, that so thank was you. fantastic. Thanks, Devin. No, no, no. I'm, I'm a, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, hopefully, I was able to tell a good story. Friends, we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or one of the other platforms. You guys, it's completely free. And while you're there, feel free to give us a rating or a nice review. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story.